The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by the Breeders' Cup World Championships at Keeneland Racecourse. Head to breederscup.com forward slash at home and enjoy all the races from Breeders' Cup 2020, including jockey cams, contender cams and more. You can watch it all back at Breeders' Cup and what a tonic, a perfect tonic it was. And what a brilliant weekend of racing as well. And the Europeans... UK and Irish, we did all right. We came out of it okay. Pierre-Charles Boudot just proved himself to be an absolute legend. Uh, I'm Emmett Kennedy, your host. Thank you very much for tuning in. Hope you're well. I am joined by the absolutely sublime broadcaster who has over in Keeneland, is just back in the UK, so very kindly joining us and has already presented a podcast this morning. The excellent Nick Luck Daily. Surprisingly, it's Nick Luck. Hello, Emmett. Yes, great to be with you. It's not like I've got an awful lot else to do at the moment. So, yeah, very, very happy to be recording this. How, how long is quarantine currently with the UK? Well, it, unless you are a jockey or a trainer and you can then either get away with that in a week if you test properly. And I think there's some jockey cases where you can almost escape it altogether if if you go through the right protocols. Unless you are actually considered a sportsman, which sadly I'm not for obvious reasons. Um it is two weeks. However, if you are going abroad to another country within that two-week period, you can do that, provided you go straight from your home to your airport, but then you have to resume your two-week quarantine when you return from that country. So that's what's going to happen to me. So while we're doing a week's quarantine, then I will be going to Bahrain for five days or six days. Then I'm coming back and doing another two-weeks quarantine. So I will be Dobby the house elf for the next uh, three and a half weeks. <laughs> well, for one thing, your kids are going to be happy that, you know, dad's around and I'm sure your wife will mm-hmm. be thrilled as well. But also, what a life. Yeah, I'm off to Bahrain in about a week's time. <laughs> Blood. If it wasn't for the fact that your luggage was lost by whichever airline it is that you were with, uh, I'd be really, really really jealous but aside from that also nick presents the nick look daily which i kind of alluded to earlier on which we could call the companion slash sister show of the final forum podcast and i don't know if you watch the apple podcast charts nick or if you just don't take any interest in that kind of thing but it's basically a race between you and me <laughs> it's basically final forum podcast what's hot Nick Look Daily, what's up? Well, Final Furlong well, Podcast, I, top I, 15. Nick Look Daily, top 15. It all seems to be going quite well, so I'm, um, I'm very happy to have joined the, the, the podcast family. Yeah, and I think that it's great that there are so many racing shows out there, but I also think that you've brought a lot of new listeners to the podcast format, and I'm not just saying that engaging in obsequious behavior. I really mean that. And, That's uh, fine. You crack, you crack on it, I'll enjoy the next hour. Happy days. <laughs> happy days. But seriously, though, anybody who was dubious of podcasts before 
go, hang on, Nick Luck's doing one. Oh, I'll go to that. And thankfully, when you click on the Nick Luck Daily, the podcast that comes up underneath that is the Final Furlong Podcast. So thank you very much. Um, so yeah, look, it's uh, it's it's great. <laughs> it's great. I don't, to- think I've got, I don't think I've got anything to do with that. But again, it's no, just, no, I, there's no control out. over that. The, the Apple just decided themselves. Charts are good. So um, yeah, please God, it'll all keep going well. But yeah. Um, I've got my eye on you, look. I've got my eye on you. Uh, also, host of a brilliant podcast, the In The Money Players podcast, which is kind of affiliated with uh, Nick Lux. So, and is definitely a sister show and companion show to the Final Fallen podcast. If we're talking American racing, then we got to bring on Mr. Peter T. Fornatal. How much of your bourbon did you sell at Keeneland? <laughs> I was I was sampling the local stuff, my friend. We're, we're, we're almost sold out our little charitable endeavor, the In The Money malt whiskey, to raise money for the thoroughbred retirement foundation i've got like two bottles left it's uh, it's been a great success but keeneland was amazing and i look forward to yapping with you about it and as for all the various podcasts for me it's definitely a format where uh, the rising tide lifts all ships you know you think about how much people would listen to the radio when that was the predominant mm medium. And I don't think it's really that different with podcasts. People have a lot of time to listen, you know, depending on what your lifestyle is. And I think there's plenty of people who, uh, you know, listen, listen, can listen to all of our stuff and throw in a few more as well. So I, I, I look at it more as a co-opetition than anything else. Welcome to Media Talk with Peter, Nick and Emmett, <laughs> where we're going through the, the Guardian actually used to do a media podcast. and I quite liked it. Um, here's what I'll say. I worked in commercial music radio for a very long time. And towards the end, it drove me insane. And I was very much heavily involved in the Final Forum podcast. Well, I own this show, so I was very heavily involved in it. And I decided that I wanted to do this and talk sport and other stuff. And that was that. Um, and, I, and I never looked back. Music radio is terrible. It's brutal. It's all... Um, Every single song is pre-selected by a computer, and I can tell you right now that the leading radio stations in the UK and Ireland, their playlist is condensed to 155 songs, and the presenters do not get a chance to pick them unless it's a specialist show. And radio had a great companion with the internet, which has now become the enemy of radio because of podcasts and audiobooks and YouTube and Netflix, Apple TV, and so on and so forth. Um, the car was a great companion to radio as well, which has now become the enemy of radio because when Nick Luck, Peter Fornatel, and I sit in our cars, they instantly sync up to our smartphones and go, oh, you're listening to Andrew Schultz, Flagrant 2. We'll kick on there. Or you're listening to the Nick Luck Daily or the In The Money Players podcast or the Final Fallen podcast. And it will link up to your phone and give you that instead. So that's one of the reasons why podcasts are increasing. It's one of the reasons why commercial music radio is tanking. Anyway, there you go. There's the rant over. Um, We're going to start with the Turf Horses, because why not start with the Europeans and our success? Dermot Well told everybody that Tarawana was a good thing. I didn't listen, and uh, I'm a dum-dum. Nick, look, I watched Look on Sunday, and you said this was your nap of the week, and uh, you were spot on. Fantastic stuff from Colin Keane, who came in for the ride for poor old Christophe Sumion, who was diagnosed with, um, say diagnosed, but he contracted COVID-19. Uh, I thought it was a fantastic ride. She was deadly. She's a fastly improving horse. And Dermot Weld is the king of international racing. And he's gone and done it again. And in the process, beaten a horse who was bidding to go one better than two years ago in this race, but beaten her fair and square. Yeah, it was a, a terrific performance. The signature turf performance of the night for me. And just about the just about the signature performance of the night, I think. Um, I, I felt the classic let me down a little bit. I'll come to that in a bit. But yeah, we'll expand on that. I, I, 
I thought Tarnawa was was wonderful. Uh, great ride from Colin, uh, Colin Keane. Great patience, content to to use her turn of speed off only steady fractions. Uh, but you've got a little bit more time at Keeneland on the on the straight on the turf course than you have at some US tracks. And and I think for someone who'd not really ridden uh, there before and had not not was safe for Siskin in the mile and and hadn't really had that sort of experience in America, he just showed why he's the world class jockey that he is. So uh, it was a it was a great performance produced to a nicety, and it was an important gap filled in Dermot World's CV because he's a man who's who's you know very aware of his of his accomplishments and. Uh, as are we, you know, two two Melbourne Cups, uh, a victory in the in the Belmont Stakes with Go and Go, and I, I was absolutely delighted that he that he he rounded it out with victory in the Breeders' Cup, and particularly given that he'd been so confident about it beforehand. Both she and Ordaria showed that you could come out of races, grueling races on Art Weekend on bottomless ground, and come and shine on on fast ground in, in America in the autumn super training performances and yeah I was thrilled to see her when I must confess my confidence had ebbed away in the in the sort of hours before the race just oh. because well just because uh, A Mogul looked fantastic and I started to buy the Mogul hype a little bit and B, sorry Nick um, and B an awful lot had had, had, had had sort of gone on as, as regards to Nawa's own preparation in the, in the lead up to the race so so but but I yeah I, she, she was still she was still my pick and, and I was thrilled to see her win she used Lasix. Pete, you tweeted out a very interesting stat. All the Europeans who used Lasix yeah. did quite well. Um, all of the Europeans who didn't use Lasix sort of bummed out. It really does look like something where there's some signal in that decision. Nick had brought up that concern when we did our first podcast right after the pre-entries came out. And I think the results, you know, it's 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 not as simple as you can't win without it or anything like that. But uh, there, there definitely does seem to be a performance enhancing slash when in Rome aspect to the Lasix. And it's something now that everybody in the world has noticed will we'll probably go on next year and those horses will be over bet and we'll see some big non-Lasix winner and it'll it'll throw everything into uh, up in the air again. But it, it certainly did seem notable. I was pretty much blown away by Ternawa's performance. I loved, uh, I just loved the way she came home rolling down the track. I haven't looked at the closing sectionals, but I have to imagine they were absurdly fast. And I thought it was an interesting illustration of something we talk about uh, in terms of the differences in European horses when they come to the USA, the difference between the grind, the grinders and the quickeners. And I think we really saw that with, uh, with magical and Tarnawa in the turf magical showing that, that grinding style and, and, you know, running a winning race and, and being very impressive, but just Tarnawa's ability to turn over her feet and get there was very, very impressive. I think things worth adding on the Lasix point that it's entirely possible. There will be no Lasix at all uh, next year. For, for Good point. I, I think that that's the way. I think that's the way the sport appears to be moving. Now we've been here before. Don't forget, in, in 2012 and 13, Breeders' Cup banned the use of Lasix within 24 hours of its juvenile races, but the policy was scrapped. So you, you, much has changed since then, and it'd just be interesting to see whether whether we do end up with no Lasix again next year. Well, Kate Harrington was saying that they weren't going to use it. They just didn't want to, and that's their decision, and that's fine. Um, Aidan O'Brien used the phrase that Peter Fornatel used, so obviously he listened to the interview. Um, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. So they use Lasix, and look, it, here's my policy on it. The Emmett Kennedy official policy on Lasix. If, it, if I own a horse that's going to the Breeders' Cup and everybody else is on it, well, then bloody well use it. If, it, if it's eligible to you, 
but I would prefer it not to be an option at all. I'd prefer it not to be there. Um, but look, if everyone else can take it, then, you know, you take it too. Um, Nick, what did you make of Magical's performance? It, this might be the last time we've seen her. Uh, very brave, as she has been throughout her entire career, but not at her very, very best. Um, I, I think that I think that performance against Gaeth probably did for the rest of her season. Yeah. I think it was just her guts that got her into third in the champion stakes and just her guts that got her into into the into the runner up spot on on Saturday night because the, the distress signals were out for quite a long way mm. and she just kept plowing on you know gutsily. Her run reminded me a little of Highland Reel's performance in the Breeders' Cup turf at Del Mar when he just about had enough, I think, by then. Yeah. And he he scrambled home to get placed, but he was about the first one off the bridle down the back, and it was very uncharacteristic for him. I thought both at Ascot on bad ground and, and on on firmer ground at, at Keeneland, Magical was just off the bridle for a long way out, and she just kept digging in because she's brave. But I don't think she was at her best, and I think serving it up to Gayath in the Irish Champion Stakes probably has taken the edge off her. Shame he didn't mess about that day either, and that's not taking anything away from him, but he really went for him. And the fact that Rayath, Gayath, has picked up an injury and is, you know, was then subsequently ruled out, I don't think that's a coincidence. Like, those horses had tough races, and um, she's gone on and had a tough race since as well at Ascot, so yeah, she's, she's run well. Um, Lord North, to be fair to him, he's, he's run fine, um, run very well, in fact. He had uh, a little bit of stamina to make up, Channel Maker, I don't care. Uh, Mogul. So Nick was saying he looked brilliant. Uh, look, I was completely suckered in by, by Mogul and Pete. My, my lucky 69 fell apart completely. The tears were everywhere. Um, he seemed to enjoy the fast ground in the Grand Prix de Paris. So I was really, really keen on him for this race. But outside draw didn't help, maybe? It's, it's, I don't really have a, a, a thorough explanation of it. I don't think that it surely didn't seem like the ground was an issue. Um, you know, maybe just uh, the, the pace was pretty even. Uh, that probably didn't help set up the kick. Uh, and it's just one of those things where some horses take to it, some horses don't. And, and you know, they, they, they can't tell us. So we just have to go on what we see out there. And obviously one of the, the disappointments of the race. I would also just like to correct the record. Um, Nick Luck very rarely makes a mistake. It would be, in fact, highly unusual for him to do so. So we should record this and play it back. Um, Highland Reel had just about had enough, is the official quote from Nick Luck. But Highland Reel would go on, of course, to win the Longines Hong Kong Vase in December of 2017. Hence why... He is the greatest horse of all time, and his baseball cap sits proudly here in the Final Furlong Podcast Studio. What a what chance! A homer. Fair, fair, fair play because he, he reversed the form, didn't he? With the with the winner of the of the talismatic, yes, there. he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he didn't do. Um, but it was it was still. I, I maintain my point. Magical could end up in Hong Kong and do the same thing, but I, ma- I maintain that that the run was not dissimilar. Yeah, you know, he was no, no, no. You're right. Characteristically, half off the half off yeah. the bridle before they left the back, but it was only his class that dragged him to where it dragged him. And I think the same, the same uh, applies to her, really. No, you're spot on. Um, how good is the pre opera form from this year? Tarawana, Alpine Star, Adorara, or whatever the hell she's called for James Franco, who we'll come to in a few minutes. Uh, so two Breeders' Cup winners come out of it, and Alpine Star remains in training, thanks to Kate Harrington, who revealed that on the final furlong last week. Um, she's going to be super exciting next season. That form is red hot, Nick. Yeah, the Pre de l'Opera has got a, a very good record at, at producing 
horses for the for the Breeders' Cup as well, and and so it's proven again. Uh, and don't forget the the filly who was fourth in that race, Torquil. Of course, he would, they, they were bitterly disappointed with at the time. You know, she was going to be a you know, potential candidate for the Arc, and uh, and she she only finished fourth. But in fact, time has probably proven that she ran a career best, and if she stays in training, she'll be another one to be interested in. I'd say. Your nap on look on Sunday, and he was telling everybody that he thought he was his best chance of, of winning, and he's gone and done it. And when Johnny Murta has just been handed, like the Qatar horses are being taken away because, fair enough, they've made their decision. They don't want horses in training in Ireland and France anymore, and that's a business decision, and business is business. But Johnny's going to have Aga Khan horses next season, and Johnny Murta's in flying form. So it, it's a Big, big win, Nick. And there's the possibility that she does come back at five. Well, it's a possibility. I hope she does because I'd love to see her try and win the arc and maybe come back and try and win this again. But um, that said, how many how many horses owned by His Highness the Aga Khan can you remember racing at five? If she does come Ooh, back, that rare. would represent a, a significant departure of policy, I would have thought. Very, very rare. It'd be extremely rare. Right, we'll move on to the mile, shall we? Uh, I shall announce this now. No, I did not have the Aidan O'Brien TriCast trifecta, <laughs> or did I have the combination exacta with Order of Australia? Uh, well done to Final Furlong Podcast listener Charlotte, who did have the exacta and won three grand for a two euro bet, or two pound bet. So congratulations to you. But uh, no, I was a dum-dum and had Circus Maximus and Lope Fernandez. And to really rub it in, I was convinced that I had done Tarawana and Magical in a combination forecast, but it turned out that I'd actually done it in a combination tricast with Mogul. So... Yeah, my night didn't really go the way I wanted it to, to be completely honest about it. But anyway, Aidan O'Brien and the O'Brien family actually bred Order of Australia. Here's um, a couple of things that are quite weird to say. Well, first of all, congratulations to the O'Brien team because they bred this horse. Secondly, he hadn't, won, he hadn't run over a mile since he was a juvenile. And thirdly, Order of Australia and Nick Luck... By all means, correct me if I'm wrong on this, because it won't be the first time. But I believe that Order of Australia is the only UK or Irish horse who is a classic generation horse to win outside of their classic generation in Group 1 or Grade 1 company this season. Um, yeah, you might well be right. Um, you might well be right, Emmett. I, I, I can't think of... Well, no, nah, no. All gender, yes. You're not... There have been a couple of fillies who've won outside there. Yeah, but that, that's it. Yeah, uh, we're talking open company here. We're not talking NASA open, stakes yeah. with um, with um, Fancy Blue. Yeah. I'm talking there've open been, company. There have been, been, been two or three fillies who... who three-year-old fillies who, who've beaten their elders in, in Group 1 company. But uh, as, uh, against all genders... I think you. I think you may. Be, you may be right, but okay. I, I'm not. I. I don't know. Final Furlong podcast listeners, correct me if I am wrong. The notorious PCD came in for the ride at the last second. Uh, Order of Australia, Pete. When we were talking about this race, wasn't even really going to be running. He was very much a last minute runner. Uh, it just proves what a genius Aidan O'Brien is. Uh, we were very keen on Circus Maximus. So. <laughs> uh, Lope Fernandez, you were very keen on. He was a massive gamble. What did you make of the race? I mean, I mean, for me, Pete, it's all about the notorious PCD. It's one of those where I can't have the winner even after the race, but I yeah. do go back and I look and, and, and 
you know, the, the, the bloodline and the, the relation to Iridessa, that I thought was interesting, just an interesting note that, hey, maybe this was going to be uh, Order of Australia's bag. You know, I think you could maybe make that case. But I mean, you guys tell me I've never known Aiden O'Brien to run a horse at the wrong distance for its entire career. And, and apparently that's what's <coughs> with Order of Sir Australia. Dragonet. But aside from aside from Sir Dragonet, uh, yeah, no, he, he hasn't really. I, I just I thought I thought this was a slow stayer who somehow just loved conditions, got a brilliant ride and 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 got the money. But it's it's still it's not one that I can second guess even for a second in terms of the, the betting decision. So, Nick, he was like and obviously you were there and you would have been talking to uh, connections on, on the phone beforehand as well. Um, and very kindly, Aiden again joined us on the podcast for the Peter's Cup preview, which um Aiden's been incredibly kind with his time on the show this season, and I know the Final Forum podcast listeners really appreciate that. Uh, so delighted for him that he said the the one two three here, and again, what a remarkable training performance he's done this multiple times, yeah. having the first, second, and third in Group One races. But to be fair to to this horse, he had won two of his last three. He was thrashed last time out, but I'm like Pete, I couldn't back him now. Like if if I get the Marty McFly DeLorean. And I've got the 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 sports almanac. I'm still not backing him. Yeah, you can you can post rationalise it, can't you, by saying that he's a half brother to Iridessa, who won the Breeders' Cup Billion Mare Turf last year. That he is a horse who uh, had that combination of Lasix and Blinkers. I know he's worn Blinkers since his second start, but he had the combination of Lasix and Blinkers. He had firm ground, proper firm ground for the first time uh, since he he ran second at Tiger Moth and a maiden, and he was cutting right back in trip. But if you look at his, if you look at his pedigree by Australia, generally speaking, an influence for stamina, out of uh, a mare who who has produced Iridessa, yes, she was quite good at a mile, but arguably better better at ten. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have thought that the cutback would be an obvious route for all of Australia to take. Add to that that he's posted a performance somewhere around ten pounds if you're being ungenerous, a stone if you're being generous in advance of anything he'd achieved before. And really, if you had backed him, it was only on the supposition that his pedigree would would bring about a, a massively improved performance. So, yeah, you can rationalise it in the aftermath, but very difficult to fancy him beforehand. And I don't know. I can't remember an, an also eligible winning of Breeders' Cup race. Can you, Pete? I'm sure there has been one, but I can't remember the last time. Nothing leaps to mind. But, yeah, it, it's in the history of the event. You'd think somebody had to sneak yeah. in there and get the money. Because what, what you're essentially saying is this, this horse is the 15th best horse. The handicapper is telling you, the, the international panel of class, people who, who classify these races is telling you this was the 15th best horse or maybe even the 16th best horse pre-entered for this race. So, you know, and that's on, that's on official ratings in a level weights race. So, you know, it tells you what kind of chance the horse had. None. So I, I guess most of us were looking at him and thinking, well, he's in there as a pacemaker. Um, sorry, well, I, I wasn't really because that's you just know that if Aiden chucks one in a Breeders' Cup race, that they're there to they're there to run for their life, and, yeah. and he'll have had some kind of he'll have had some funky reason for running the horse. Because I said to Pat Keating, "I bet you're all a bit surprised by this." And he went, "Oh no, Aiden fancied him." Well, yeah, of course he did. But um, <laughs> you know, amazing. we know we know we know that 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 Aiden's orthodoxy is not the same as most people's orthodoxy. So he can win. Crazy good races with with funky horses like Order of Australia. Yeah, well, and this this mare must be ridiculous. Oh, Centre's oh. dream. She's now had two Breeders' Cup winners by Ruler of the World. Mm, you know, not an obvious source of uh, Group One performers. And 
you know, Australia, who has had some nice horses, but they, they've not tended to be really fast horses. So she must be something else. Now, she's got this filly by Camelot, who won her maiden the other day, who, must, who's, who on that evidence is probably going to be an absolute superstar. It's a really good point. And it's just fascinating that it's not a, a Coolmore job. It's the O'Brien team themselves. It's the O'Brien family that, that bred this horse and uh, ends up in Coolmore colors. So well done to them. Uh, it's fantastic. I, I, again, Aidan O'Brien is training a one, two, three here in a, in a group one, grade one. Like that's, that's phenomenal. Um, we need to talk I about- don't forget, Don't forget they still own a bit of this as well. Yeah, of course they. Of course they do. He's no fool. He's yeah. like Jim Bulger. He he was Jim Bulger's assistant trainer. That man's too. If there's no flies on Aiden O'Brien, and if they were, they'd be paying rent. Um, Circus Maximus and Lope Fernandez. They both run absolute stormers. Uh, Circus Maximus was fourth last year. Nick, obviously a much better run this time around. But it was a ground saving trip. Uh, but again, just the notorious PCD Pierre Charles Boudot, who did say afterwards. Aiden told me he's a special horse and was confident of a big run on this small track. Um, he's running his heart out. He just quite was on the day. It wasn't quite good enough. Oh, Circus Maximus. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he's got to be another candidate for, for improved for Lasix, hasn't he? I mean, he, he hasn't run very well. His last three starts, he'd run poorly at Deauville, Longchamp, Ascot. Ground might've been too soft for him in fairness. He's not a great, got a great record on soft ground. He's much better on top, but, I couldn't have fancied him, in all honesty. Uh, and he's he's come right back to that form that saw him finish second in the Sussex Stakes to to Mahartha. So fair play. I was well done if you kept the faith with with Circus Maximus. Yeah, I was all over him like a rash, and uh, God, it hurt. It really, really hurt. Uh, for those who in, who enjoy Schadenfreude, yeah, that's what I was like on Saturday night on the floor on my knees, peas and carrots everywhere. Uh, especially when Lope Fernandez has finished second, and you're going, "Oh Jesus Christ, that would have paid a fortune." Um, Lope Fernandez, Pete, you were very, very keen on this horse. He's run a stormer. I thought he had a trip excuse too. I'm not, I'm not, if you tell me, I'm not sure Lope Fernandez doesn't win with a clean run through. I thought there were two spots right. of trouble that, uh, that, that cost Lope in that, in that spot. I mean, it was, I mean, to me, the biggest takeaway from the race is what you said before, Emmett, just such an amazing uh, training performance in a breeder's cup that featured many of them. I thinking about this, the Aiden O'Brien one, two, three in this race, uh, is, is going to be one that really sticks with me. And I'll be curious to see about uh, Lope Fernandez in the future. It seems very much suited to American racing. Yeah, very much so. Uh, the plan that Aidan O'Brien was saying at the start of the season was to all the three-year-olds will stay in training. So to the best of my knowledge, Circus Maximus is off to stud. Uh, that's not official. He may very well race again, but I think he is headed to Feathered as far as I know. And uh, I hope I haven't... Um, reached anything there but anyway he deserves his places to start and i'd certainly send a mare to him if i had one but unfortunately i don't have that kind of gravy yet uh lope fernandez should stay in training next season essentially aiden was saying all of his three-year-olds would come back next year that was the whole point that this is an interrupted year so we're not going to see the best of them so they all come back next year um one of the things i really liked about this is that this is this is a shock winner in America? It's a seventy to one shot, and the NBC coverage, which I cannot compliment enough. And I, again, it's it's engaging in obsequious behaviour. But I said it in in the build up, and I'll say it again: there is no broadcaster on the planet who covers racing better than NBC. And Nick Look is right there in the centre of it, at the heart of that team. 
doing brilliant work. And the way that it's nothing is patronizing, nothing is condescending. The way you sell the stories of, and the way your colleagues sell the stories of racing, you sell the equine stars. That's what we want. I know it's what you do on racing TV, but this is mainstream broadcasting going out across the United States and across the world. And it's great that Sky Sports Racing were doing the simulcast, by the way, that we could, they weren't interrupting it. They could actually let us watch you do your thing. Um, this is how it has to be done. This is what we want. This is like, why aren't we getting this? this give us NBC and take it over all NBC, dominate everything. Well, just, they're brilliant. Well, I mean, I, you, you've got to, you know, listen, you've got to put everything into context. Not every day, on on American sport, uh, sports TV is like this, and not every racing day is is like a Breeders' Cup. You know, the, there's no doubt that the, the the broadcasters in Ireland and England do a brilliant job on the RT on, are on, fantastic. The big, on the big races. And you know, if you, you you take you you take ITV's coverage into the states, and everyone in the states says this this coverage of Royal Ascot is fantastic. Why can't we have this? You know, on the big on the big occasions, these these guys do do pull it out. I mean, I can only speak from my experience. With NBC, what I what I thought was great this year was that yeah these are these have been challenging times for all commercial broadcasters uh, and yeah trying to sort of work their way round this round the constrictions that the pandemic naturally imposes and also trying to produce a show that's of good quality mm. within those within those restrictions and I, I I did think it was very refreshing that that both Breeders Cup and NBC invested significantly in order to really make. Um, in order to really make a good a good show, to, to produce top quality pictures, to innovate, to use new cameras, to use different angles, to make Keeneland look. You know, if you go back five years, Keeneland. I know the sun was shining. It really was shown off in all its glory, and just the, from the positioning of the set to the ISO cams to every single horse isolated through the race to, to the much much more sophisticated use of the jockey camera to a lot of the interviews that were done to the positioning of the cameras. I, I just felt that there was a, a real willingness to try and bring people a proper experience at home rather than taking the attitude, well, we're in the middle of a pandemic, we're going to cut the budget, you know, everyone's everyone's cutting their cloth at the moment and we'll just sort of make do and mend. I think to, 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 to try and be bold and ambitious at this point is really important. It just makes everyone feel better and I think we should carry on uh, aiming up Rather than being cowed by the uh, by the uh, restrictions that are naturally placed upon us, so all credit to to everybody who who put their heart and soul into making it that way. For my part, you know, you're just inspired to be part of a team that 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 is incredibly good at what they do, and you can only be as good as the people that are around you. But as I say, look, I I think you know, that there are days when the shows are a bit more are a bit more mundane, a bit more common or garden. You're always going to get up for a big Triple Crown event or a big Breeders' Cup event. So, you know, I wouldn't want to give people a false impression of what the overall picture's like. Yeah, and to be fair, NBC turn up for the big occasions. It's like when the BBC bid for the contract and they only wanted Cheltenham, Epsom and Royal Ascot and they didn't care about anything else. Um, but... You know, when you see the, the coverage they give, it's fantastic. And look, shout out to Jane Mangan and to Hugh Cahill and Ruby Walsh, um, Brian Gleason and all the team at RTE in very, very difficult circumstances where they have to social distance. They've done a brilliant job this year um, on RTE and they've turned up to more racing, which has been brilliant as well. So hopefully RTE will continue that. But um, yeah, look, that's our look at the Breeders' Cup mile. Uh, very briefly, two horses who are done. Off to stud. Siskin goes to Japan. Uh, Kamiko won't be coming back either. And they're... 
They were, they were disappointing. So some people were keeping the faith. I could see why. Um, they both ran without Lasix, but I don't think that's going to be the excuse for either of them, Nick. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm kind of with Pete here. I currently understand why they didn't run with Lasix. Half hour was Kamiko beating three and a quarter lengths. Mm. You know, he had a very, he was very well positioned as well. Oh, Oshin well had him positioned. in the right spot. Yeah, he, he, yeah, there was, there were no excuses on that front. I must say, I, when he, when I was watching him train and it's not like they were really putting their foot down, I, I didn't think he was, I didn't think he was loving the track. But in the race, I thought he he moved pretty sweetly for for a long time. He just didn't have much left in the in the final analysis. And um, yeah, I, th- I thought he was I thought he was a little disappointing in in all honesty. Um, I think at his very best, Kamika was still a very good horse, and and I'm, I maintain that. Siskin, I'm not sure what to make of that run. It was an odd one because he was exaggeratedly held up to get the trip, and he did he did sort of stay on a little bit. But he never really looked like he was going to get there. He was only beaten five lengths. I, I don't know. I think, I think they made a mistake not using Lasix with both the horses, really. Yeah. Uh, and and that's and that's the beginning end of it. You can argue till you're blue in the face about whether you approve of it or don't approve of it. But um, there you go. And it was a, it was a pretty hot day as well. Yeah. Uh, Naomi, to be fair, who was on the preview, and the preview is one of the most listened to shows that we've done for. Well, actually, the National Hunt podcasts have been huge, but it was it was a massive. It was the biggest Breeders' Cup show we've ever done. Probably had something to do with the fact that the Breeders' Cup sponsored it. Uh, so thank you very much to everybody who listened and to everybody who engaged. But Naomi sent me a message saying that she'd watch Kamiko work, and she went, oh, this horse is going to hate the track. Um, yet he still went off four to one favorite. Um, and, and Siskin... I don't think we see him again. I think that's it. He's off to stud and off to stud in Japan. So all those rumors, all those in the know folks on Twitter who are like, oh, cool, more of bottom. Yeah, yeah, of course they have. Uh, the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint Grade 1 went to... Ding, ding, ding. Winner for the final Furlan Podcast, Glass Slippers, uh, Kevin Ryan, Tom Eaves. Fantastic for Kevin. Uh, fantastic for Tom Eaves. I think we were all in agreement on Glass Slippers. Pete, you were in agreement as well, weren't you? Well, I, I mean, I understood the case, but I had stubborn. You wanted put out got stormy. Notion. You wanted. Yeah, I, I put out. I said the first time Europe wins this race, I'll lose, and sure enough, glass slippers kicked sand in my face. But I, I was very happy for a lot of people I know who were much smarter than me and paid more attention to those form lines and, okay. and respected glass slippers' chances. Okay. So it was not a win for me, but uh, but yeah, you couldn't have come away from listening to. Uh, the analysis on the show without without respecting. Well, look, given the fact that that you um, you didn't have the winner, uh, we we should we should start with you, uh, Glass Slippers. <laughs> <laughs> Glass Slippers wins for Tom Eaves and Kevin Ryan. Uh, what did you make of, of this performance? So Barry Faulkner, Naomi, and myself put her up. Um, great training performance from Kevin Ryan, and a brilliant ride from Tom Eaves as well. Yeah, it was not an easy journey through the lane there, no. that's for sure. Absolutely full of run and found a way to get home. I just feel like it's it's the first time I've seen the form translate in the Breeders' Cup sprint the way I expected to with the Europeans going longer distances. I thought there might be something about the discipline, that the, the sharp bend going that short, that uh, they just were going to – the invaders were just not suited to it. But clearly this was a case where if you look at the figures in form – it, it was the best in the race or right there with got stormy anyway at a better price. And th- this is one in retrospect that because of the attitude I had going in, I, you know, you, you just have to make decisions sometimes. And 
but being unilateral when you're coming to evaluating form and making bets, it, it's it's not wise. And uh, it, so that that's a, that's a lesson learned. But this was one I was conscious of going in. What, that I'm not going to say, oh, I should have done this, I should have done that. Just, uh, I'm just happy for the people who like you guys who were smarter than me, and uh, and happy for for connections. It's a it's a good story, and it was a good effort. I had to sit back and watch uh, multiple winners go in that I didn't back, and I was delighted for those on the team who backed them. Um, so I'm I'm the same as you, uh, but was absolutely thrilled with this and was roaring roaring the living room apart, um, <laughs> just just like sh- yelling at the telly uh, as the cats ran everywhere. Uh, one for the stats, boys. What, and girls, for that matter. Uh, one, six, one, 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 two, one are now our form figures from September to November. Interesting side note also uh, from Norville, who there's again no sign of. I think he's actually on the run. Um, she was the only runner from Europe this year and is the first ever European winner of the race. Nick Luck. Yeah, I think it was the, the result that gave me the most satisfaction if I was to, to pick one. I'm not saying it was the, the signature turf performance, but I... I, I really enjoyed this you just there was something about the way kevin ryan and tom eves approached this whole enterprise that made you think she had a chance you know, you i see this every year going to the breeders cup i've seen it for 16 years you just watch connections out there and you watch the way they are and you watch the way they're approaching it and you you just sometimes know that some are better prepared uh, kevin had been before with east she'd run a really good race uh, Tom Eves is not a man accustomed to rides in, in Breeders' Cup races, but there was something about his inner confidence all week. He had total confidence in the filly's ability to handle the track. He had total confidence in her um, her well-being. And he rode her like that. I, I saw him down at the start. I had a chat with him. He just seemed totally composed. You wa- And I was there right by the starting gate when they broke. And as soon as she broke on terms, I thought, well, she's got half a chance. Because unlike in some of those turf sprints, that we've had down the years, particularly some of the ones at Santa Anita, you've got those what ridiculous brazen California turf horses that just go off a million miles an hour. Mm. And anything that's not really trained out there just can't lay a glove on them. So their chance is gone. They just can't breathe. They've just gone within a, within a couple of furlongs. They might make some late gains, but they're never going to get into the race. The fact that there, was, there weren't horses going off at a million in this race, I think gave her half a chance that so she could just settle just worse than mid-div. She got the lovely posse on the rail and then you knew she had the class if she was good enough because she was a, fundamentally a better filly than most of the horses in the race. But normally that's academic when it comes to this race as regards to the Europeans. In this case, it wasn't academic and she came through and she got the dream trip, but she got the dream trip with a bit of, a bit of good race riding as well. You know, Eve's had the half gap inside that last half furlong, and he didn't mind saying, "No, I'll take that. You can, you can get back." And uh, I thought it was a brilliant ride. If he's given, a, if he's given a horse a better ride in his career, I can't readily recall one. I'm sure people will come up with their own list of twenty favorite Tom Eve's rides, but. I, that'll take some beating. And I thought it was, a, it was a fabulous ride and a great performance. It just proves that he is a top-class rider because he made all the right decisions at the right time and fair play well, to... Well, listen, I, I'm not going to start I'm not going to start being disingenuous here and, and saying that he's one of the great riders of the modern era because that would just no, be, you know, no. that, would just, that would just be sort of lavishing false praise. But he's a, he's a very, very likable person and he gave that horse an extremely good ride. He's savvy. That's how I put it. He's savvy. He knows what to do well, at the right time. He'd been given, you know, the trainer has invested an awful lot of loyalty in him. He he rode as though 
yet he he was completely confident in both his own and the Phillies' ability. And fair play to Kevin Ryan because every interview he did, he was extremely, extremely bullish. So well done and uh, chalk one up for Europe. James Franchot had never had a runner at the Breeders' Cup. He has now and a winner. And again, it's the notorious PCD for new listeners. Uh, this is who we've christened Pierre-Charles Boudot. Uh, the man's an absolute genius. A fantastic ride on... Give me the correct pronunciation, Nick. Odaria. Odaria. Uh, Nick, look, she used Lasix, and um, I did love the footage of James Franchot celebrating. Uh, she has just been fantastic this season since stepping back up in trip. But again, the notorious PCD at his best. Yes, this is Pierre Charles Boudot. Yeah, uh, not some sort of not not some sort of cannabinoid product available in Holland and Barrett. Not a rapper, uh, not a French rapper. So, yes, Yuritz Van Dizabel was supposed to ride her. He um, didn't pass his COVID test before coming to America, so he couldn't. And uh, again, Boudot was was brilliant, having total confidence in her. Uh, She's got a, a wicked turn of foot. She's obviously quite a single-minded filly and has required some artful training. Uh, and James Fanshaw is a, a man of great patience. And as Alison Swinburne said on this morning's Nick Luck Daily, in, on which James Fanshaw was also a guest, uh, quick plug there. Nice plug. Uh, he, he's a, he is, he, he's got great attention to detail and he's a real all-rounder. Uh, the only surprise was that it was his first ever runner in the Breeders' Cup. Mm. He's had a number of horses easily good enough to go there in the past. And yeah, there was something just delightful about it, really. There was just, it was a delightful result in every respect. And I, I just, she and Glass Slippers were, did, did more, I think, for, for the event as a whole and its international standing than just about any other horse you could imagine could have done uh, I, I, it's massively important results I think you're 100% right there because it's it's important that we're able to send over and this is with the greatest of respect it's not just the big guns who are heading over it's and they are very very talented trainers but it's great that they're succeeding there as well and it proves that well, hopefully more trainers will, will follow suit particularly when the prize money is so big like the purse money was the exact same as last year that's in pounds sterling, seven hundred and eighty-one thousand nine hundred and fifty-four pounds and eighty-nine pence of the Queen's finest sovereigns are on their way to the owners of Odaria for James Franchot and a bit of a percentage there for the notorious PCD as well. Um, Pete, I kind of with you. I want to talk more about the beaten horses. Cayenne Pepper didn't use Lasix, but Peaceful and Terrabellum did, and um, I was very keen. And I was extremely confident about Peaceful. You were very confident about Terrabellum. Aye, aye, aye. It just didn't work out. I mean, the, the horse that really we definitely need to, to highlight, because I, I don't honestly have much explanation of the of those non-performances. But uh, from a USA perspective, the, the storybook ending clearly would have been rushing fall. Who's you know won her grade ones at two, three, four, and five, and really did everything but win. Evaluating these two going forward, not that they'll not that they'll meet again. I, I don't think uh, I think that's it for Rushing Fall on the race course. But I would rate Rushing Fall's uh, run in the race equally, um, at the least, making the staying up near the pace the whole time, making the move into the fastest part of the race and just getting beat by one that, as you guys both noted, had such a, a completely perfect trip. I mean, she's the, 
that would have been an amazing story for her to be able to, to wrap this up. Not that I was upset. I mean, I think there's a lot of great things about Odaria winning, as you guys pointed out. But uh, E5, um, they've just had such a great run with Rushing Fall. And I suspected she was one that could hang with the really good Europeans. And she showed that to be the case with, the, with, with that race. And I think if you run the race again, it, it could have just as easily, you know, shuffle them and pick one. It could have easily gone the other way. Yeah, and fair play to Chad Brown. He's got a fantastic record in the race. Four wins in the last 10 years. And also fair play to Barry Faulkner. This might be fake news, but I think Barry put her up. I have a feeling he... Altaria, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. he did. And that's a that's a 12 to 1 winner uh, for Barry Faulkner. The Don, there's a reason that Barry Faulkner's on the Final Front <laughs> Podcast for these American specials. The man's an absolute genius. He's a wizard. And um, he messaged me afterwards to say just how much he, he loves to, doing the show. So it's, look, it's great to have him on. And uh, please God, we'll be doing more American content soon. Uh, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. So this takes us to Future Stars Friday. Uh, Fire at Will. Breaks my heart and beats Battleground. Ay, ay, ay. Uh, Cadillac was not on Lasix and ran a fine race to be fourth under Shane Foley. No, no, nothing's on Lasix here. Nothing's on yeah, Lasix by, here because of the juveniles. rules. Aha. No, All right. Willing to be corrected. You see, every now and again on the podcast, I prove to be a dum-dum. <laughs> so uh, nothing allowed to run on Lasix, and that's a good thing for these juveniles. Uh, fire at will. Um, Pete. How much of a surprise was this? Because certainly it was, it was a surprise with the UK and Irish bookmakers. 33-01, this one. This was a kick myself after the race one for me. Uh, I got I got very stuck in to the European challenge. And I did not really like Fire at Will's last race, just in terms of, oh, it was an easy lead and this and that. But you go back and you look at what a key prep the Pilgrim has been for this race. And it's just one of those things you run out of time. I did not fully price up the race and, and look to make additional wagers off of that. I was just basically hunted anti-post value and put up my horses and, and then look back at the race, but it wasn't the, that hundred percent job that you do. I feel like if you do the hundred percent job, it's very hard to have fire at will as longer than a, than a 10 to one shot having out for a, a wizard of a trainer and, maker and having won a race that's historically proved to be a key prep. And then you see 30 to one. This was one I wanted to kick myself after, um, for that. I like new mandate and it just, it just didn't, it just didn't work out at all. Did it? I mean, just got lit up from that bump early and then, and then, you know, and, and then found more trouble in the race. I think new mandates really, really interesting. And especially with the, the fact that, I don't know what they're going to do. And I really want your guys takes on new mandate in terms of what do you target with a, with a gelding? What do you target with a three-year-old gelding in Europe? Well, there's nothing. There is nothing. There's nothing he nothing can run at in at, gr- at group one level until the Sussex stakes, I think is the yeah. first. Cause unless, unless, unless you just say to say he's a sprinter and, and sort of send him down the Commonwealth cut route, which you could do. Uh, but I, there's nothing in his pedigree that suggests he's a sprinter. So, uh, and there's nothing in this run style so far. So, uh, I would say that you can't really do an awful lot until the until the Sussex. So, I, what do you do? Run him in the jersey, maybe first time up, something like that, I, or you send him to America. Uh, that's where I was going with it. You know, we do have some some good stuff earlier, and the prize money will be there, and you don't have to worry about breeding value. So, m- maybe it makes sense. I don't think. 
Some might say, well, what are you talking about? America, the horse just ran last. But I think when you look at the trip closely, I don't think it necessarily means that he won't handle it around here. Yeah. No, I'd be inclined to agree. I would be as well, to be fair. And um, like he was fancied for the race. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Rafe Beckett or the owners have an eye on America for next season. But uh, you're right. Nick is spot on. There's, there's very few options. Unless they're going to target group threes, group twos. But there's nothing else that he can go for. Um, we, we don't allow geldings in our prestigious races, Pete. Unlike you Americans who just <laughs> let them in there. You uncouth Americans. Um... <laughs> Funny side was a legend, in fairness, and uh, what, what a story he was. Uh, but we've banged on about him enough on the show. Battleground covered 49 feet more than the winner. Now, he had been off since the Group 2 vintage at the Goodwood Festival, where he was really, really good. Um, he was due to run in the Vincent O'Brien National Stakes, the Group 1. My view on Battleground was the Curra's loss was the Breeders' Cup's gain, uh, really fancied him for this race, but he's raced wide all the way around and that covering 49 feet more than the winner. I mean, how is he supposed to beat him then, basically, Nick? Well, he's not the sort of horse, I don't think. If you look at him physically, he's not the sort of horse that you would have wanted to be ramming down on the inside fence because you'd have been worried about him, you know, getting around the bends. Uh, and and he, he is a horse who, as you say, had been off for a little while He's definitely not a horse that you would have wanted to squeeze all the drops out of for the sake of winning this race, however however much the prize money was. He's, he's too valuable as a stallion prospect. Mm. He's run a really nice race. He was never going to get to the winner. He's won for next year if they if they keep him in one piece. He has still moved forward significantly, I think, on his on his run either at Royal Ascot or at Goodwood. The form at Ascot is not worth a hill of beans. It was that's, a terrible, that, that was a ridiculous race. race. That was a ridiculous race. And and the form at Goodwood, yeah, the, the runner up, Tom Daskin's horse is a lovely horse. He's been super consistent, but it's not it's not great form. You know, mm. it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't up to what, say, Cadillac had been achieving latterly. So or even new mandate. So he still had a bit to find and he did find quite a bit. So I wouldn't be too disappointed. He was all about potential and pedigree going into the race. And to me, he's emerged with his reputation enhanced rather than dented. And, and, uh, and I, I honestly don't think that, that, that jamming him down on the, the inside or trying to get a more ground-saving trick would have brought about a better performance. Devious Company is the horse that Nick was referring to, by the way. In terms of for next season, so he's 8-1 to one for the Guineas. Aidan O'Brien's obviously got St. Mark's Basilica and a number of other horses that could be in contention for that race. What trip do you see for him? Like, So you've seen him up close now, and because we're in this Rona world, uh, we can't go to the races. What does he look like physically? Does he look like a horse who's going to be much better as... Because Naomi was saying to me... Uh, What's that message that, oh God, she loves him. Um, different, she loves mm. Found. And obviously this is the only offspring of Found. She's found it very, very mm. difficult um, to, to produce. And that's, that's terrible for her. Right. If, you, if, you, if you were to ask me what I think might be his sort of ideal test next year, I would say it would be 10 furlongs on a flat track. That would, mm. be, my, that would be my guess. If they could get him good enough to run in something like the Judmont International, I think that would be a race that would have his name written all over it. I'm not sure that he'd want uh, too many undulations, and I don't think he would want extremes of ground. So that would be that. I say don't, certainly don't think he's want it, going to want it too soft. So I, that would be my um, my my preferred uh, target, and work backwards from there. But I'm sure there's they'll, they'll be wanting to run him in a Guineas, Irish, French, 
the English, whatever. So, so you know, we'll let, me, let me put it to you this way then. He's behind in Europe. Would he be behind Max Sweeney and St. Mark's Basilica from the Irish perspective well, in your view? Max Sweeney's quite a hard horse to assess, isn't he? Because uh, the, the conditions under which he's won his final group one and Jim Bolger thinks he's got a better one, doesn't he? In the, in the Dawn approach mm, horse. Yeah. yeah. But um, I think, I think on, on, on form so far, he's a little behind St. Mark's Basilica and Wembley, but he, he, I think he exceeds the pair of them in, in potential if he's, if he's, if he's moved the right way. Okay. Careful with the undulations, though, which means if you're considering him for Epsom, even though he's by out of I, I, found, but I don't by want to be dogmatic. I don't want to be dogmatic about. No, that. no, I mean, no. Just, no. I'm just, I was just suggesting what I felt might be his absolutely optimum. His absolute optimum test might be ten furlongs on a flat track. You know, he's a he's a big horse with a long stride, um, and uh, and look, he's straightforward enough. I'm sure he could handle most tracks, but that that would be that would be what would be in my mind. You know, he's been around Goodwood, for goodness sake, which is yeah. not straightforward. Yeah, I was going to say that, because my view on him was, I actually think he would be fine at Newmarket. I think the Guineas would be okay for him, but I'm kind of leaning towards St. Mark's Basilica right now. Um, right, that was fire at will, breaking my heart. Thanks very much for that, fire at will. Really, yeah, screw you too. Uh, and Pearl is a winner for Brad Cox, beats Mother Earth and Miss Amulet, who ran two massive races, Campanelle. Oh, mamma mia, where did it all go wrong? Pete. Uh, so Anne Pearl was sent off favourite on this side of the Atlantic, I believe sent off favourite over there as well. Uh, Aidan O'Brien's horse, Indeed. Mother Earth, and uh, Ken Condon's horse, who, technically speaking, Coolmore, but it's really Michael Tabor uh, now own Miss Amulet, has run an absolute blinder to finish third. Um Fair to say Campanelle didn't stay, but we'll go with Anne Pearl first of all. What was your take on the Juvenile Phillies turf, Pete? I, I thought back immediately to the pod I did with Nick uh, right after the pre-entries when we went through all the chances of the Euros and they very quickly said it's Aunt Pearl's race to lose, isn't it? That ended up being exactly the case. She was just too good, absolutely suited for the test and then gets an uncontested lead. I think it's interesting. Perhaps the concerns about whether or not Campanelle would stay, which she clearly didn't, led to a ride where Aunt Pearl was really able to, to dominate things on the front end. It was a very impressive performance, uh, more success for Lope de Vega in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. And I'm interested to see where she goes from here and what she can do next. Nick, look. Yes. <laughs> succinct as always the sultan of succinct there Nick look uh, as for the Irish horses Mother Earth and Miss Amulet so Mother Earth has been she's been consistent um, she was one of those horses that they they really fancied for Royal Ascot and didn't quite work out Miss Amulet's been a great story for Ken Condon I believe stays with him which is fantastic um, I'd like to think that Miss Amulet can do better next season uh, okay so here's my take on on, on those two Mother Earth, I thought, ran really well. I didn't think she really got a grip of the track brilliantly, but I thought she ran really well. She wasn't giving Ryan more, I didn't think, the easiest time of it. She mm. was slightly on one rein coming up the straight. I thought she did very well to get where she got. Uh, Miss Amulet got a nice ride from Julianne Leperoux, who was quite careful with her and didn't try not to use too much of her early. And, and I thought had her in a good enough position whilst trying to save a bit. And... You know, the fact that she lost second late on tells you she didn't quite get home. She She's a really smashing filly. And anything from, you know, six, seven, she's going to be fine. And 
Uh, if they if they crack on with her next year, I don't see any reason why she won't train on and win some win some more nice races. So yeah, I thought they both performed very creditably. But Aunt Pearl, yeah, it's another one for for these American agents coming to Tattersalls and and plundering and and plundering nicely nicely bred European horses. And this is a trend that is only going to grow, and it is going to make the disparity between European and American turf horses. Um, narrower and narrower and narrower as time goes on. And the beautiful thing is that if Ordaria and Glass Slippers and Tanawa encourage more and more good European horses to come to the Breeders' Cup, so the performance of the 240,000 guinea, which is a lot but not a fortune by relative standards, our pearl is going to encourage more Americans to come and buy more and more and more European bloodstock. So those Breeders' Cup turf races in five, ten years' time are going to be super competitive. And yeah, there are grounds for believing that that both Europe and America can can approach them with some sense of optimism for very, very different reasons. Well, especially with the amount of prize money that's up for grabs and and the prize money in general in America as well. Uh, take my hand and let's go to Speculation Corner for a second. Jimmy George was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago from Tattersalls talking about the, the international angle and uh, obviously the Irish and, and UK angle as well. And we saw book one was a huge success, but the Americans were very active, Nick. So Tattersalls is becoming, um, they've, copped, they've copped onto it basically, the Americans, and they're coming over here and they're, they're mopping up some of our exciting talent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, um, people here would have every right to be a little bit concerned because they say, well, hang on a minute. You know, do our are our, our, our owners incentivized to buy the horses to keep them here because our prize money's not very good? Mm. But you know, this this an that's an argument for a, well, it's not just for another day; it's for every other day apart from this one. Because frankly, I feel like I've been talking about it all season. But <laughs> yeah, as I say, I like to look on the, I like to look look at it relatively optimistically. Insofar as there was incentive enough for European horses to keep going over to the Breeders' Cup, we're talking about it on a Breeders' Cup podcast. But on the other hand, I think you will find more and more horses being bought in in Europe. Winning, winning some of those prestigious races because at, as things stand at the moment, for the, at least in the short term, the, the European turf bloodlines are the best. I mean, in a generation, that could all turn around because they might have all been bought by Chad Brown and Brad Cox. And may I just give a shout out to my local stud farm, Bally Lynch Stud of Kilkenny. If you've got €100,000 and you want to send your mare to Lope de Vega, why not send to uh, Lope de Vega, Bally Lynch, in, uh, near Mount Juliet in Kilkenny. It's a beautiful place. And um, the next time, Bally Lynch, you got to pay for that. But right now, because you're Kilkenny... <laughs> I'm giving you the free the free plug. I've trained you well about this independent podcast thing. Oh yeah, baby, that's how we get me give me all that gravy. <laughs> like, I'm say I'll say it again in the words of Clay Davis from The Wire. I'll take any motherfucker's money if they're giving it away. So Bally Lynch Stud, uh, yeah, you know who to call, and uh, we'll promote your uh, your stallions to everybody. Uh, but delighted for them, and uh, we'll claim it as an Irish winner because she's Irish bred. So yeah, why not? Um, uh, Campanel, in terms of Royal Ascot, was Wesley Ward talking? about the Commonwealth Cup afterwards because I would imagine that's going to be Miss Amulet's target as well. Um, Pete? I didn't hear what he said, but I mean, it certainly makes sense. Uh, you, you, you you, would think that they know, that they learned a lot about what, uh, what she's best at. She ran a good race and just didn't see it out. So uh, cutting back for a race like that would make sense. Have you heard anything specific about the target, Nick? I haven't, to be honest, no. Um, but I would imagine that she'll be, she'll be cutting back. It just didn't quite work out for her, did it? Mm. Uh, after the brilliant performance of, of Golden Pal, it just didn't work out for 
for Campanelli. But yeah, I would imagine that they'll be they'll be cutting it back. And a smooth transition to Golden Powell, who I would imagine will be going for the King stand at Royal Ascot next season, all being well. Uh, he was fantastic and we were all over him. So it was the perfect start for the final Furlan podcast before it started to slightly go downhill and then come back up again uh, towards the end. Uh, Golden Powell was deadly here. Uh, Irad Ortiz Jr. gave him a brilliant ride. Nice to see Wesley doing his usual celebration. Son of Uncle Mo. And... Um, you could call him the winner of Fairway Out. I know that he hasn't won by a country mile, but you could have called him the winner a long way out. Well, it's interesting. You complimented Irad's ride. I'm going to go ahead and say, I think he got away with one, Emmett. With oh, that, come that on. String. Have a go. That's... Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I think he wins by quite a bit longer. I mean, look, he, I, I'm not a jockey knocker, as everybody who knows me knows, and, and I could be dead wrong about this. And maybe the restraint of Golden Pal early and getting him to come back to him, maybe that's the only reason he, he won, and, and it was brilliant. But I just – Whenever I see that with with a speed horse, it just it makes my teeth itch a little, and and, and I think it's very risky to let the others come back to you. I, I like it more in in a in a sprint when you just you just use that speed and and you blow the doors off. And and you know I, there were definitely some anxious moments. I'm sure he drifted out quite a bit in the in play betting, but in the end, I mean, Irad much smarter than me knows what he has under him, and and it worked out. It worked out brilliantly. But I I do think. It, if he'd just gone on with it, that it could have been uh, a much more. The margin could have been could have been a lot more. Not that you know. Look, I'm 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 just I'm, we're talking just because this is a podcast and I'm not like actually like criticizing the guy. But it, it seemed like an interesting point for discussion, especially since you complimented the ride. Look, I, I watch a lot of American sports broadcasting, a lot of American coverage, and uh, sometimes the the guys and the women on there will say, "I don't want to be a Monday morning quarterback," but man, come on, man, what a terrible. Th-. So I love it when you do that. I love it. Um, is Nick? Look, going to agree with you. Uh, so we'll say King Stand is definitely going to be on the agenda for next term. Uh, if he trains on Nick, I'm very, very excited to see him take on Batash. If he trains well, on, well, he. I think he should train on. Um, my concern. I mean, I, I, if you see what I mean, I don't. I, I mean, I don't think there's anything to suggest he can't improve or at least maintain his form as a as a three-year-old because you know, his dad ran some nice races as a, as a three-year-old. But the, my issue is that he's a horse who's already failed the vet. And yeah, that's why he's not in Coolmore ownership. Coolmore had him bought and he failed the vet and they, and they, they gave him back to, to Randy Lowe. So I, I I'm worried in that regard. Yeah. I also, I, I'm also have my, my concerns about a horse who, I'm not quite sure what it was. There was a very strange moment in the race where it appeared as though Irad might have restrained him, and that's what Pete was referring to. Mm. But it's almost as though I always thought something had gone wrong with him for a second. It's almost like he kind of had a weird falter halfway oh, down the back and, and then picked up the bridle again. It was a it was something I hadn't quite seen before. And I um yeah, there's just there's something I'm not convinced about with this horse. I I I, I yeah, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be convinced that he'll be he'll be mopping up next year at, at Royal Ascot. I think Wesley might have done a pretty good job to get him where he's got him so far. It's an interesting point that you make, Nick, and it's definitely one that we need to keep in mind for, for next season as well, because we're all going to be trying to find an alternative to Batash and maybe he's not going to be the wise guy horse that we that well that I was thinking he was. Um, particularly when you're listening to Pete's analysis of it could have been a victory by further, but 
Anyway, uh, you, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned Bass Ash, of course, who we should have mentioned when we were talking about the turf sprint, as in why wasn't he there? Ah, uh, for God's sake. Um, Come on. But look. but there you go. I mean, if ever they were gonna do it, this was the year. No crowd, there was no excuse. There was no excuse. Shut up, I email. Think, I, I think Shake Hamdan is finding uh, from you know, from what Angus Gold has, has said on on various platforms before. I think you know, whilst he's had a terrific year, I think he's found not being able to go to the races and watch these horses winning quite quite a dispiriting experience. And I suspect that may well have had had some hand in in why they drew stumps with him. And he's had a pretty tepid campaign. Yeah, he's only had what three runs. He's yeah. won them all, but and, and in none of those did we really see. Yeah, you know, I, I was slightly irritated by by the the Batash narrative this year in, in all honesty because he's a, a horse I've got so, like everyone has I mean I've so much time for when he's at his absolute best he's, there isn't a better sprinter anywhere in the world he's absolutely brilliant I think Charlie Hills has done a fabulous job mm-hmm. with him but I don't really think he was ex- really explosive in any of his in any of his three starts this year he sort of scrambled home in the in the Nunthorpe he got the job done but against pretty modest opposition at Goodwood. I know it was a track record, but the ground was like the M4 that day and it was boiling hot. And what was the first one was the King stand. Yeah, he did the job nicely, but I bet he beats Equilateral a bit further at home than he did there. So, yeah. I, I, you know, there are performances he's produced in his lifetime that have been utterly stunning. His first Nunthorpe was absolutely stunning. His first Abbey was thrilling. Two of his King George wins at Goodwood have been just exhilarating. So we didn't really see that this year. I didn't really think he'd had a particularly hard campaign. You know, they should have run him. And I really hope that he, A, delivers one of those like 128, 129 performances next year, and B, that he somehow gets an opportunity to head to to, to the States. Because given what Glass Slippers has just done, again, that should encourage them that he could he could absolutely blow them apart with shock and awe if he's on his if he was on his game. Well, maybe the fact that the division is quite weak and that he didn't blow everything away this season, maybe Charlie Hills knows more than he's letting on, and it was a very wise decision not to send him. But uh, well, I doubt it. I'd, I'd say it was the owner's decision, and, and that's that. But I don't know that for a fact. Mm. I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. Mm. He would have been a fantastic narrative going into it, but anyway, oh well. Uh, very briefly, Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. So uh, Vequist uh, takes the the prize. A daughter of Nyquist, uh, Peter, lead us through her day, day, oh, day out of the office. We were all over her. I, I thought well, for so we, long we, we were going to get V-Quist. it. We talked Vequist too. We, we did, about we did, that but I didn't. Hopefully. But I didn't back Vequist. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was from an American perspective. This is a case of the clock triumphing over the eyes. I had been on record as suggesting that the favorite Princess Noor wouldn't have been fast enough to win a maiden race at Saratoga, much to the chagrin of many California uh, players and pundits. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll toot my own horn here. Naomi didn't quickly. like that at all. And just say it, it was it was a very if you believe in speed figures, this was an utterly logical uh, result. And I think the I think the top two are pretty good. And I'm interested to see where they where they head from here. Yep. Uh, Nick, what will be your thoughts about their campaigns for next season and how impressed were you with them? I liked I like Vequist. This was one of my better efforts over the over the two days from a from a tipping and betting point of view. Well done. Uh, I just think that she's a little bit more. She she's just a slightly more professional racehorse, I think. She's she harnesses her energy better and she finishes off her races nicely. She got a perfect trip. 
I think Day Out of the Office might be slightly the more talented, slightly the more brilliant. But I don't. I didn't think she. I know it was a real speed favoring track, but there were some great pictures down the down the back, uh, and even even on a small monitor with the sun shining brightly into it, I could I could figure out, and it's been confirmed to me since on rewatching that I just felt that she was going. She was just going half half a stride too enthusiastically a day out of the office, and that might have just undone her late. And Princess Nor, the numbers said she wasn't good enough, and they weren't. It's worth noting about the track on Friday that the the inside the the inside rail on the dirt was definitely good, and Vquist was parked on it, and day out yeah, of the office yeah. was a little bit outside of it too. I don't know that it makes up the two lengths difference. I think Nick's point about uh, her racing maybe a little bit too free day out of the office was maybe the bigger factor, but I, but I do think the rail the good rail probably exaggerated the margin of victory a little bit for Vquist. I, I'm not sure which one's better going forward. Shout out for me, by the way, because the two outsiders that I mentioned, Crazy Beautiful and Thoughtfully, landed the box exacta if you were backing horses to finish stone last. <sighs> oh, well. They were big prices, though. Give yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what the hell I was thinking there. <laughs> anyway, uh, Godolphin get on the winner's board. Godolphin had a quiet weekend, but they were on the winner's board with uh, essential quality. Quali- Quality. Use your mouth Easy words, Emma. Jesus, it's twenty. It's a, it's one o'clock. What the hell is going on? Um, essential quality uh, by Tappet. Nice to see Tappet with the with the winner. Um, Peter, I'll let you lead off here. We had talked about this horse beforehand, and um, is he a classic contender for next season? Uh, I and I. I, I hate to be so negative and he could, he could well continue to get better, but I thought this was a, a case of trips, a case of a barn in flying form and a case of the horse that I think was probably best in the race. Who only managed fourth in the end, Jackie's warrior ending up, uh, ending up attacking a very fast pace, a little bit, a little bit too early. So I was, uh, I respect essential qualities. Uh, he's a, cool story and uh you know has already kicked sand in my face so so what do i know but uh i going forward to, to who would have the more valuable prizes next year i'd still be leaning towards jackie's warrior even though some of those might be he might be more of a of a alan jerkin seven furlong grade one horse than a 10 furlong traverse horse we'll see though i'm I'm still not convinced it wasn't the attacking the fast pace that made him look like he lacked stamina as opposed to his actually lacking stamina. I think it could could be an interesting uh, rivalry through the early Triple Crown prep races next year between Essential Quality and Jackie's Warrior for me. Well, when he took over turning in, I thought, oh, he's going to do it. But he had chased that fast pace and really it was just too much for him. Um I'd keep the fate with him. He was four to four from four coming into the race. Uh, Nick, your impression of the TVG Breeders' Cup Juvenile? Yeah, he's a nice, he's a very attractive horse, essential quality, and he's already he's already a stallion, isn't he? Um, so yeah. you know he's he's done his job in that in that sense. Are, are we absolutely certain that he's going to get a lot further than this distance? Because uh, I'm not absolutely certain. Um, his family is full of you know, just about milers and seven furlong horses. He also by tapping out of an elusive quality mare suggests to me that they're going to have to be very mindful about how they campaign him. So I, I'm, I'm not completely sold on the idea that he's your next triple crown when I put it that way, but you know, he's the clubhouse leader in the division, arguably. I mean, he'll win the eclipse award when he, I can't see how anyone's going to vote for Jackie's warrior off the back of that. 
You'd have to. I mean, this is what the Breeders' Cup was. I can make you a wise guy, horse player's case, why you could give it to Jackie's Warrior, but the Breeders' Cup is there to determine championships. And with that win on the book and his previous form, right. I'd, I'd right. feel a bit churlish even making the case did, for Jackie. Did I? Did, was it you that I was talking to the other day about the, the awkward conversation in, when we were driving to some racetrack or other when I said to one of my... Uh, one of my NBC colleagues whose dad might have trained the Breeders' Cup Juvenile winner last year, that I had, that I, that I, I, could, I had to confess that I hadn't voted for Storm the Court. Oh, my uh, God. I, did, I hope Brittany slapped did your Brittany face. Did Brittany Uton just, like, no, kill you because, there and then? Like, were you stabbed in the back immediately? Because she's such a nice person, she sort of, there was a pause, and she went, I mean, that's fine. That, that, you know, that's fine. You know what, you know what Brittany's going to do, Pete? She's going to bite her time like Arya Stark in Game of Thrones. And she's just, one of these days, Nick's, when he least suspects it, bang, she'll strike. And that'll be that. Anyway, I was hoisting my own batard. I voted for Maxfield, so... You, um, you vote for who you think is best. So uh, that, that's, the, that's the other storyline here, isn't it, really? That Godolphin had, uh, you know, the very, the, I think, the most talented juvenile of, of 2000 and a 19 and 11th hour scratch from the Breeders Cup juvenile and, and that was a bitter blow to Brendan Walsh and yeah. now they've come out and, uh, and and got the win with this horse so that's it's great for them no no comfort to Brendan but no because uh, this this is a Brad Cox uh, job mm-hmm. um, well so, so was everything else yeah well yeah, yeah true enough uh, three from three so almost certainly to be juvenile of the year but uh, yeah when when the injury is announced to Nick Luck uh, when he's broken his leg it's going to be it's going <laughs> to we'll be know who's responsible Brittany will have done it she'll have sent around the goons and uh, she'll have taken care of him uh, let's talk about the Breeders' Cup Classic shall we the Longines Breeders' Cup Classic goes to Authentic and wins the million dollar bonus so to be fair we did talk him up quite a bit on the pod um, this is definitely one where I thought Johnny Velasquez gave the horse a fantastic ride uh, I love this race um, shout out to Peter Fornital. You were spot on about maximum security. I think so too was Naomi, uh, who was dead against him. Um, and your old boy Tacitus has run a fine race too. But improbable, oh. improbable and authentic did land the box exacta for a number of final fallen podcast listeners. So nicely done there. Did I have it? Did I insert colorful language? Uh, but authentic was absolutely brilliant. Uh, I love this horse. He was very impressive. He looked great before the race. Um, he got an absolutely candy trip, I have to say. But hey, the money still spends, and he ran a fast time figure, so I'm not going to crab him too much. But I, I was disappointed. I wanted to see uh, the, the logical thing that would have happened to me when they broke and Tis the Law broke with such alacrity. I thought he had to go forward and then either challenge for the lead or try to get the position that he likes outside of horses. Unfortunately, he ended up in the worst of all possible worlds, uh, restrained down on the inside. The inside was not the golden pathway for me on Saturday that it was on Friday. I'm not saying it was a bad rail, but it was no advantage. But it doesn't matter if it's an advantage at all if the horse just isn't comfortable traveling down there, which he wasn't. It just all went wrong for Tis the Law. And then speaking of all went wrong, Tom's data never, never got Ugh. involved, unfortunately. And that was, so that was disappointing. Um, so I don't mean to take anything away from the winner. Like I said, he ran a fast time figure. It was a great ride by Velasquez. I think he'd learned the lesson of maybe the little bit of indecisiveness early in the Preakness 
and he just went on with it and was aggressive opening up by two and a half early. He didn't, he didn't let them come back to him. He didn't invite anybody into the race. He just, he did what he had to do. And he's certainly a deserving winner of the race. But for me, when I remember this one, uh, it, it's a little bit of a story of who didn't show up as much as who did. Uh, 2.3 million pounds, 2.34 million pounds of the Queen's finest sovereigns, if we go that way. It's just easier than talking about dollars for this particular review. Uh, and then he goes and talks about dollars. The million pound bonus was for the Haskell and the Derby, and Bob Baffett, the Burger King man, has gone and got it. So he has the one two here. But Nick also, he's got a record breaking fourth win in the Classic in seven years. Um, yeah. How impressed were you with Authentic and the fact that Bob Baffert's trained the 1-2? Okay, well, we'll take it in that order. Uh, you couldn't not be impressed with the horse. You know, he's run he's run 10 furlongs in 159.19. There's only been two faster Breeders' Cup Classic winners in the history of the race. Can you name them? Point for each? Oh, Jesus. Oh. Uh, I'd have a better chance at speed figures than raw time. <laughs> well... There are only two two quicker ones. One's Go Sapper, one fifty nine oh, and Go Sapper was, was in my that head. That was guessable. Because I, I remember James Willoughby on Racing UK. There was a favourite that night, and he was going, I, I told you all! And he was, like, showing the picture of Go Sapper. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry, I should have got that. The other, one's, the other one was Skip Away, 159.16. Ah. Okay. Um, Didn't know what they were the, just They were just quick. So it's the third fastest Breeders' Cup classic time in the history of the race. And I know raw times are not as significant as relative times, but still it, t- it tells you that you know, any horse who, who can run 10 furlongs in faster than two minutes, even if the track is, is as slicked up you know, faster than an Indy 500 track, um, is, a, is a talent. Uh, but I think he's a, you know, he, was, he was granted a, a, a lovely time of things. And, and that, in part, that was because Bob Baffert had two other runners in, in the race and they were all drawn to the outside. So it just set up absolutely perfect for him. And again, it's another one of those in hindsight. If, you, if like me, you, you liked Tis the Law, or if you're one of those people who liked Tom's data, you knew your fate was sealed after they'd gone 100 yards. And that, for me, is why, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, it was a rather unsatisfactory race mm-hmm. in that regard, because you never really felt that the horse got it served up to him. You know, the American Pharaoh's Breeders' Cup Classic, wonderful horse though he was, was, uh, was a... A, a great, spe- a great spectacle and great atmosphere, but it was a dull horse race because he just, he just pootled around in a time trial. I'm not saying it was quite the same for Authentic, but I, I not entirely yet. dissimilar. I, I get <laughs> no, where you're coming from. I, I completely get yeah. where you're coming from. I mean, I mean, um, what was <laughs> maximum security was just was. I'm not saying he wasn't there to do his best, but you know, a part of the function of where he was birthed in the race meant that tis the law could never escape the inside rail. Now. I, I'm not massive. I'm not. I'm not subscribing to the Barclay Tag School of thought that Tesla could have won because he didn't show up at the end of the day. Nonsense. I think to solely blame the jockey is ridiculous. But um, that was outrageous. Well, no, it, was, was I mean, it wasn't outrageous. I don't think he got a particularly good ride, but I don't think it was the difference between him winning and finishing up the track. Yeah, know? but bollock him in private. Don't go public with it. Well, I don't know. I mean. I think it's a bit different in America. People are a bit, they're a bit more, they're a bit, they take these things a little less sort of, um, they're a little less sensitive about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not, they're a little, I don't know if Pete would agree with me. I just think, I think the jockey merry-go-round, everyone's a bit more pragmatic about it, aren't they? You know, people are in and out of favor and, you know. I, I age- felt that it was a classless move, but in part, Nick, just because of all the drama surrounding this mount all season with John Velasquez trying to, 
get Manny jocked off and, and then um, eventually, you know, them doing the right thing and sticking with him. I don't know. And, and just to where Manny is in his career, I think you're right. When there was a lot of talk about uh, con- connections, being unhappy with Mike Smith, he's Mike freaking Smith. It's not exactly. like making comments in the press isn't going to be deleterious to his career. I feel like it could be damaging to Manny's career. And even though obviously I just criticized the ride myself, I feel like as an analyst, that's my job. And that's not Barkley Tag's job. They can go ahead and make a phone call and fire him Saturday night or do whatever. I don't know that that happened, but I'm assuming, you know, you can, you can vent that way. And, you know, you're, I, I hope you're right, Nick, that, that the people do have thicker skin generally. But for me, it did, it did rankle me just knowing the specifics of this backstory and thinking so much of Manny and, uh, and worrying that it could actually be a little bit damaging to, to a guy who I think has an extremely bright future. I agree. I hope, I, I hope so. I hope so. And it, I'm interested to see how the horse you know, moves from here. I, I, was, I was disappointed with, the, with his performance. I thought he'd, he'd, people are now saying, oh, well, he was overrated. He was beating rubbish earlier in the season. If that was the same horse who turned up on Saturday, then I'm a Dutchman, frankly. <laughs> Uh, I will just make a final note on the the comments about Manny Franco. I have seen trainers bollock jockeys out of it in in Ireland and at Cheltenham and in Sandown. And then uh, a cunning interviewer like Nick Luck or Liddy Hislop uh, goes up to the trainer and will ask, and the trainer won't say a word about it. They, they do not make it public but they will bollock them out of it if they feel that they've made a mistake and they won't be afraid to do it on the track, but they won't do it in the media. Very, very rarely. Um, Pete, maximum security. Where do we stand with this horse now? I think that he showed in the care of Baffert that, you know, he's still capable of winning a big race, but he's clearly not the same horse as he was when he was trained by service. Is there a reason for that? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, there's a reason, and it, it's part and parcel of Jason Service being taken off in, in handcuffs back yeah. in March. You know, it's it's, he, but I think to say that all of Maximum Security's achieved, I think what 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 what's happened for Coolmore and Baffert in those last three starts is to show that that wasn't a it wasn't an absolute mirage, and he's a horse who's you know not far behind the best of the Baffert horses on his. Uh, on his, on his best day, you know, I mean, he's, we'll learn a lot more, I suppose, when he goes to stud and we'll see what, we'll, we'll see what can happen. I think, I think the point is this, you know, if it was, if it was simply whatever Jason service may, may or may not have been administering to some of his horses that created uh, sparkling performances, then, you know, I could, I could theoretically be the next Ben Johnson, you know, Ben Johnson still had to be, you know, gold medal contender before he juiced himself up or before he got juiced up to, to win the gold. So yeah, you, you still have to, yeah, if it was that easy, everyone would just be doing it and turning $14,000 claiming horses into Kentucky Derby winners. Mm. Yeah, that, that is too, that's too reductive a way to look at it. He clearly is a horse of significant talent and not only significant talent, significant courage as well. You know, he showed that in the, in the Saudi cup when he turned away midnight Bizu and, and, and he showed it in the Kentucky Derby and people, People who talk about um, felons in U.S. racing talk about you know, horses re-breaking because they've had some sort of performance-enhancing medication allegedly uh, applied to them. But I don't. I don't think you can. I don't think you can impart um, 
you can't i don't think you can impart such a huge amount of class and courage into a horse that it will it will override everything else yeah they they have to have something about them in the first instance the 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 tricky part now for for coolmore standing him as a stallion is a how they market him i'm sure they've given a lot of thought to this and b you know what kind of mares they send him to try and establish his career and what kind of legacy if any he will leave really we probably won't know much about how good maximum security was until until that starts to manifest itself in his in his progeny. But don't they have like a very strong case here because they've been sold a pop? Case against who for what? They acquired him, and it's only after they've acquired him that it then comes out that uh oh, allegedly stuff has been going on. So, well, but also they, they they would they would well they would argue the case that the horse has never has never re- returned a, a positive. Uh, test true and true. of course this is the argument that that has been put forward by both gary and mary west and and the coolmore partners for why they should receive compensation for the for the saudi cup yeah why, and why the saudi cup administrators are withholding that person till there is or, or or isn't definitive proof one way or the other as to whether he was administered a, any kind of prohibited substance in the six months leading up to leading up to the saudi cup we simply don't know mm. that the, the the honest truth is we do not know we can suspect you've got to be very careful here you know, service has been indicted on some very very serious charges but the case has not been fully heard and we don't know what was or wasn't administered to each and every individual horse in that stable and somehow without that knowledge or without anybody's wider knowledge the, the owners of this horse now have, have got to kind of you know, work out how they how they sell this career to to, to, to mayor owners, you know, yeah. and, and it'll be interesting, particularly with a horse with not a with not a sparkling pedigree. So it's going to be very interesting where they pitch him price wise, what he can deliver. It's almost like a sort of it's like a sort of intriguing experiment, but probably one you'd rather not have spent several million dollars finding out. Yeah, I, I mean, look, they are exceptionally wealthy and the biggest stud farm in the world, so it's hard to feel sorry for them, but I actually do feel sorry for them in this because they've been dragged into something that they had not, they had no knowledge well, of or were no part listen, of. It, it might come out, it might, they, it, you might find that it ends up coming out, they might come out of it really well. You might find that no proof is, 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 is forthcoming and they might end up with half the half the prize money for a starter for the for the Saudi Cup. It could still happen potentially. Yeah, that's true. In which true. case that's five million that's five million dollars to, to to sweeten the to sweeten the uh, the blow and then and then onwards. You know, he still look he still won a great he still won a Pacific classic, mm. you know, running running with Baffert. So that's enough to put on the. That's enough to put on the on the brochure. Yeah, but that's, he, that's a fair shot. You, you feel you feel for the horse in some respects. You know, listen, it's not his fault where he where he ended up. No, it's not, and and nor is it Bob Baffert's. Although there is a cloud hanging over him as well, which uh, Pete and I are going to do a podcast on. I'm not sure Pete's aware of this yet. I think he is. We're doing a podcast on that, but um, <laughs> I we'll, didn't know that. We'll we'll discuss that. Yeah, we have. Uh, <laughs> so you're looking forward to that one, Pete? We we, we, ha- we have a special we have a special guest who's done some in, exceptional investigative reporting and uh we'll be doing a show on that and pete you're you're being dragged into it um what did ben- on, i'll do it yeah oh yeah let's let's uh, get um somebody on the case to try and get him back and we'll we'll see we'll see where he is uh what did ben johnson famously say after he won his gold medal i, I, I don't recall ben johnson said the one thing they can't take away from you is an olympic gold medal Except for a week later when they took it away from him. 
Uh, Gammy wins the Breeders' Cup Philly Amir Sprint Grade 1. And um, this was one for you, wasn't it, Pete? You were fairly confident about no, Gammy. No, no. I was, uh, I was looking for the upset here. I was I was more in the, the Serengeti Empress um, CC. Oh, wait, no. We were all spot. over speech. Oh, yeah, we yeah. were all over speech. Oh, right, right. CC was the other race. Sorry, I got my McCarthy Phillies confused. This was a very impressive run from Gamine. I mean, this was what this was what you might have expected on the cutback from the Kentucky Oaks. Um, quite possibly when Baffert won the race right before um, with a horse who'd had some some similar issues requiring uh, similar therapeutics. Um, maybe it would have been smart to get on the uh, the Gamine bandwagon. I, I was not smart enough to. This was just one that I uh, I, I watched and, and watched my money fly away. But uh, it, it certainly made sense that the cutback would be the thing for Gamine, and that was that was certainly the case. Yeah, Nick, let's not dwell on this, please, because uh, speech really hurt me, and all the Final Forum podcast listeners were on, and we cut her in price and all that, and it didn't work out. So very uh, briefly, Gamine. Well, we, we should dwell on it, because it was one of the performances of the Breeders' Cup. Damn you, Nick, look, damn you. Uh, so both from an equine standpoint uh, and from a and from a riding standpoint. I mean, really, you think, okay, he did anyone, a great job. Any anyone mm. could have could have sat on Gamine and, and steered at a victory. But one of the reasons why I didn't bet her or why I didn't tip her was because I thought that the rider had a virtually impossible task. Because if you went up and forced the issue with Serengeti Empress, you were likely to compromise your own chances and let some rancid closer come from behind. And if you <laughs> if you if you sat too far off her. And let her have anything, sem- any semblance of an uncontested lead on a slicked up track, then you were going to be even more on the back foot. So, what did Velasquez do? He gunned her, pressured her, and I thought, what are you doing? Well, what he was doing was saying, right, go on then, you go half a yard faster than you really want to. Oh, once you've established your, your, your slightly suicidal pace, I'll just shelve in behind and I'll let you draft me into the race and I'll pick you off when I want to. I thought it was just only, only jockeys with like, massive confidence and guile can get away with stuff like that even if they are on the best horse so yeah i thought that was the ride of the i thought that was the ride of the weekend that was absolutely brilliant even though she was way the best that was absolutely brilliant analysis from nick luck and that is why nick luck is paid the big bucks and is on nbc uh we'll move on to a winner for peter fornatel and um, why i'm on nbc i'll I'll take that We'll move on to a race where uh, I believe we are contractually obliged to mention the sponsor's name. Is that correct? We are? Yeah. Oh, you have to. Okay. All right. Yeah! The big ass fans! Breeders, come on! Come on down and get your big ass fan! Pete Fortetown, Nick's Go was a big winner for you. Yeah, this was a nice one. I think every this was a horse that made perfect sense on figures and form going in, and then everything came in the favor. The barn was flying, as we noted, and and the, the way the track was playing, certainly. I'm not one of these people saying, oh, it was a massively speed-biased track. I think it was mostly just the best horses were on the lead, but speed sure didn't hurt, and speed sure doesn't hurt in general in the two-turn mile configuration at Keeneland with the short run to the first turn and the short stretch. But uh, th- this one was pretty darn impressive visually and on the clock. Uh, Nick Sko just had an extra gear, uh, took down the rest of the speed, allowing for a nice little forecast with a big price and Jesus's team to come on and, and get second. Uh, very, very impressive stuff from, from Nick Sko and another winner for Brad Cox. Did you have the exacta? 
I did not play exactas in there. I, yeah. We were when this was one that we all the do. I hate to do so much horn tooting, but we devised it uh, at seven to one at the at the pre-entry stage. So just just sat and watched. And that is why you listen to the Final Problem podcast, the Nick Look Daily podcast, and the In the Money Players <laughs> podcast. Uh, thank you very much, by the way, because uh, I I only had an interest in this race because you were so keen on Nick's go. So fair play to you, and uh, I appreciate the win, Nick. Yes. <laughs> do. Would, you like to talk about, would you like me to talk about Nick's go? Uh, let's move on to the Breeders' Cup sprint, shall we? The great one. Uh, Whitmore. Can I, can I, can I uh, just very quickly, <laughs> very quickly say something about Nick's go? Um, yeah, I mean, that is emblematic of, of Cox dominance, wasn't it? Um, oh, no. horse, Care, careful. Her horse is picked up from Ben Colbrook. The, uh, the thing about this horse is, you know, people talk about, oh, massive improvement etc he was a he was a smart juvenile you know he was second in the breeders cup juvenile it's not like he's been it's not like he's been turned from a twenty thousand claimer into a suddenly a champion and there, i don't think it was that deep a race he he got a perfect trip on a track that favored him and thanks very much you know the the numbers were there for all to see and it was a question of whether you believed that he could cut it in better company but his back form told you that he was a he was a great likely likely is not a great one horse anyway so um I think he, he was lucky that he that he that he walked into the group that he walked into. I think this year because this can be a much more contentious race than it was. Yeah, very true. Uh, we'll stay with you, Nick, for the Breeders' Cup Sprint Grade One, which went to Whitmore at sixteen to one, breaking the heart of Barry Faulkner with CZ Rocket uh, finishing second. Your thoughts on the race? Uh, not much of a race, smashing horse. Succinct. I would love a very similar sum up from you, Peter. One of the great stories for me of the Breeders' Cup is just Whitmore as a horse. He's run in this race so many times. And, you know, yeah, maybe he caught the right field. But it's, I, I like to see uh, the, these old boys getting it done sometime. And, and, you know, it came correct for him to do so uh, with the you know race lost some of its luster with Vacoma coming out. Uh, but it, it, it was at great expense to me personally. But I was particularly mm. happy for connections and this horse. You were keen on CZ Rocket as well, weren't you? Yeah, but that would have been nicer for the bankroll, but you know. Oh, well, okay. Listen, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. There was uh, there was so many near, we were booking those flights to Dubai and then it just didn't quite happen. Would you really risk two weeks quarantine to go to Dubai? It's the, it's the quote, man. It's the old <laughs> saying, we'll see you in Dubai. Not under current <laughs> circumstances where you'd go out there and there's literally nothing to do except be in a skyscraper and look down and just be like, all right, I can't do anything really. But, you know, when things return to normal, whatever the hell that's going to be, some George Orwell dystopian future written by Charlie Brooker probably and appearing in a Black Mirror episode near you soon on Netflix. Uh, we'll see you in Dubai, hopefully from Maidan. And hey, Maidan, if you'd like to sponsor the Final Fallen podcast and send Nick, Pete and myself off, off there, uh, let's talk. Uh, first class Emirates flights, please. Thank you very, very much. Uh, she missed all of 2019, but she more than made up for it. She was the distaff winner of 2018. She also won the Kentucky Oaks. And she then goes into the sales ring and makes $9.5 million the day after winning her second Breeders' Cup distaff. Moname Girl is one hell of a story, Peter Fornatel. You could definitely make a movie about her. This wasn't just missing racing. I mean, her she she was in real trouble when she was off the racetrack. 
and to see her come back and, and do what she's done. And then to find out, hey, we just got, I mean, to me, this race isn't that interesting to talk about in that the, the fastest and best horse won. The horse that was supposed to give her a race had trouble at the break and was never in it. The, it's more interesting to talk and speculate about the future for the fact that she's just been, uh, that she's going to stay in training. And I don't know what you got about you guys, but I feel like it wouldn't be all that interesting to go watch her beat her own sex four times next year. I wonder if they're not going to target a race like the Pegasus or like the, the big Saudi race at a mile and an eighth for this one. I, I wonder, you know, it's also possible they're just saying, Hey, we just want to win this race, the distaff again next year. And we'll put together an easy campaign to get there. But I think that's the most interesting talking points coming out of it. Well, given yeah. the fact that like they've paid so much money for it, um, it, maybe it is a case of they just want to win a third one of these and have the, the Breeders' Cup win in their own colours. Can you tell us a little bit about Spend, Spend Thrift Farm and how ambitious they are? Because they must be fairly ambitious to fork out $9.5 million at the Fasig Tipton sale on Sunday. They've done just unbelievable. I mean, uh, the, the story of into mischief and and what they've been able to what they've been able to accomplish. I, I would assume that uh, you know they're looking for for mares that are going to cross well with their with their big stallions. But it does. I mean, we already know. I, I was very surprised to hear she was going to keep racing, but the fact that they've uh, the fact that they've announced that, I mean, it makes me think a high value target like the the race in Saudi. It, it sure would be a surprise to see her run a mile and a quarter. So I don't think they're thinking classic or Dubai. You know, we've got that one turn mile and an eighth in Saudi, which I don't know. We don't know exactly how that will suit her. Um, but I assume this is a double play at this point to try to grab some purse money and, and then have a very attractive broodmare. That is what it's all going to be about. 9.5 million. It would have been extremely easy, Nick, to just go straight to the paddocks with her. But to be fair to her new connections, they are going to race her again. The question is, is it going to be for Spendthrift Farm all about coming back and winning this race for a third time? Or as Peter has suggested, are they going to aim that little bit higher? I think it's a bit of a no-brainer, really, nowadays. You've got that a sequence of races now in the spring whereby you can nearly make the money back. You know, she can go to the Saudi Cup. I mean, that would be the obvious one, wouldn't it? The distance would be ideal. You know, we've got a fair, we've got a race standard already, haven't we? Given mm. what Midnight Bizu did in the race last year and, and Monomoy Girl was, you know, at least her equal, if not her better. So therefore, you, you'd think that it would be a, an obvious target. And unlike last year, I can't think of a whole glut of horses that are likely to go back for it necessarily. I, I assume they'll have another go with the with the infernal Tacitus, but um, <laughs> I can't. Oh, Poor Tacitus. Wait till he jumps a fence, guys. Wait till oh. you see him jump a fence. Oh. Here he comes. He's coming to Cheltenham. Oh. JP's but colors, I, I, Frankie tight lips. Here we go. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know, Pete. Can you think of other obvious contenders that are, are likely to are likely to head there? I suppose uh, would, would would they have a go with improbable? I'm not sure what his plan, if they've made a final decision about improbable yet. Here's a horse that's been committed to retire that I, I think Winstar might want to rethink given the, the state of the division is a global campaign. Oh, I know they're, they're going to keep him around for the Pegasus. So they'll get another data point there. But I mean, based on his form, I feel like he could add to his value with some more grade ones and, and certainly purse coffers. I I'm, I'm just surprised of the of the ones heading off. 
who seem like they could increase their value the most on the racetrack and grab purse money. He feels like a, a very interesting one to me, but they, they, they've said that's not the case, but you know, these things can change. That's it. That They are all the races. Final questions for you. Your highlight of the Breeders' Cup 2020, Nick Luck. I'm not saying it was the best performance. It wasn't, it wasn't the best performance by any stretch of the imagination, but my highlight, I think, my personal highlight was, it's a, it's a, tie, it's a tie, I think, between Glass Slippers and Ordaria, but I think for the for for what it might do for for participation in the event, as I think glass slippers. Peter Fornsell. I'm going with Tarnawa, not least because I mean, it was incredibly impressive performance. I hope it did enough to convince them, even though it would be against the usual program, to keep her around and, and make an arc run. But it was also at that point that uh, it became clear that uh, our mutual friend, Jonathan Kinchin, was going to cash for well over six figures in the, the Breeders' Cup betting challenge, the betting competition. So uh, putting her up everywhere, seeing the scintillating turn of foot in the stretch and being happy for a good friend and colleague, it's uh, it's turn all in spades for me. Drinks on Jonathan. Uh, yeah, Tawana for me as well. I just thought that she was given a fantastic ride from Colin Keane and it's a brilliant training performance from Dermot Wells. So well done. I mean, she, she's beaten Magical. I know that she wasn't at her best um, I, I agree with Nick with the Highland Reel angle there. Um, you could see that she was under pressure a fair way out, but it's just a, a great story. But here's the other question, gentlemen. From a European perspective of horses that you saw run at the Breeders' Cup, who would you be excited about backing and where next year? Nick? That's a very good question. I suppose uh, I suppose Aunt Pearl is exciting, but you're not going to get a price about her anywhere, are you? No, um, really. I think Ordaria will come back and win next year's Breeders' Cup filly and mare turf again. And I think she'll be campaigned brilliantly to do so. And I think she might pick up another three group ones along the way. And I suspect she might end up becoming one of the more popular horses in training. There you go. I like that one from Nick. Pulled it out of left field. Peter Fornatel. I like the Campanelle cutting back for Ascot idea. And if there, and there's enough uncertainty built into the price about Tarnawa's future, what about her for the arc? Mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah, it just it, there's the thing in the back of my head that Nick said: Diego Khan rarely races his horses on at five. But if Dermot can persuade him, then yeah, why not? Why not for the arc? The arc could be epic. Love thrown in there as well. Absolutely epic. Um, for me, I will go with Battleground. I'm not adverse to backing him for the Guineas. I was taken with the comments that Ryan Moore made. He was happy with uh, with his run, um, first run after a break. He'd had a setback and he literally ran 49 feet more further than the winner. So keep the faith with Battleground. And uh, remember, he was the exception to the rule that Aidan O'Brien explained to us about the juveniles that they were prepping for Royal Ascot and how they then disappointed and got sick afterwards. He was the exception to that rule. So keep the faith. Nick, look, um, does this mean you can't do look on Sunday because of quarantine? Uh, that is correct. I think I may be making some kind of contribution via some horrendous video link up. But um, yeah, I, uh, that, that is exactly what it means. So uh, I will not be in the hot seat for, well, this week. Well, I didn't do last week. I'm not going to be able to do this week. And then I don't think I'm going to be able to do the next couple after that. Because so yeah, I think it's four. Because I've got to do two weeks quarantine when I get back from Bahrain. So um yeah i will be i'm actually uh, I, you know listen i'd rather be able to go in and do the show that's for sure uh and i'd rather not be confined to the house but 
there, you know, there, there are aspects of um, intercutting your travel with period of calm that um, that make at least some appeal. But I am only on day one, and I'm still without my bag. Yeah, <laughs> we'll Which, see how you feel in a few days. You'll be crawling at the wall, crawling at the walls. Yeah, you you could yeah, you could be going a bit mad, mate. Um, but listen, brilliant work on NBC. Um, tough job for whoever it is has to step into your extremely valuable shoes. Only the finest Ralph Lauren for uh, Nick Luck, like myself, obviously. And um, obviously, it's still going to be a great show. It's just he's going to miss Nick. And uh, that's on Sundays on Racing TV, which you can watch for free. You don't have to be a subscriber. You can watch it for free. So you can set your EPG. You can set your uh, Sky Q or your Virgin Media to to record it and watch it away in your own time whenever you feel like it. Uh, And look on the Nick Luck Daily podcast is already out now and will, of course, be out again uh, throughout the week. Anything we should be looking out for? Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stick to the Final Furlong podcast and our Tote 10 to Follow special, which is available for all listeners right now on all podcast apps and some rubbish ones as well. Uh, Pete Fornital, what, what have you got coming up for us on the In The Money Players podcast? Lots of content this week on InTheMoneyPodcast.com or if you subscribe to our feed over on iTunes as well. Going to be plenty more talk about uh, Jonathan's big win in that uh, in the betting contest, looking back at races as well, and, and just keep it moving forward. If you like American racing, there'll be some good tipping content later in the week. Check it out. If you have questions for me about American racing or anything else, you can reach out to me via the contact tab on InTheMoneyPodcast.com or just hit me up on Twitter at Looms Boldly. Yes, I love that name, by the way. I absolutely love the name Looms Boldly. Uh, So here's some more boring tech talk for you. Uh, The most popular way that you can listen to Peter's podcast, the In The Money Players podcast, Nick Luck's show, Nick Luck Daily, and the Final Furlong podcast is Apple Podcasts. Uh, That's the one where we tend to all perform the highest on because they control most of the market. But Spotify are now massive podcast players because they've decided well, screw music, we want to do long-form audio content. So they bought The Ringer for $100 million outright. They now own that. They paid over $200 million for Joe Rogan's show, but just the licensing of it. So Joe gets the $200 million, but he has full editorial control over the show and it remains his. Uh, But you watch it and listen to it on Spotify, if that makes sense. Um, But Spotify don't release their numbers. So if you listen to us there, that's fine. It just means that doesn't benefit Nick, Pete, or I, but hey, if you're listening, don't care. What's more valuable to us is if you share the content on social media. That's brilliant. CastBox, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Acast, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Player FM, TuneIn, Downcast, Stitcher Radio, and uh, what a Podkicker. There you go. They're all the big ones, apparently, that we're all being listened to on. So if you're listening to us there... Five-star ratings for all three shows. We don't ask for much. Shows are free for you to listen to. So uh, a five-star rating for the Nick Look Daily, five-star rating for the In The Money Players podcast, and a five-star rating for the Final Furlong podcast will be much appreciated. Nick Look, it's a pleasure as always, my friend. And um, enjoy Bahrain. Yes, Emmett, thank you very much. And uh, look forward to catching up with you soon. Peter Fornatel, anytime to talk American racing with you is an absolute pleasure, unless it's the week of Cheltenham, in which case it's all jumps. 
<laughs> I could talk about jumps too. Yeah, you can. Not as effectively as you guys, but uh, it's always a pleasure. Great to uh, get the chance to chat with you and Nick and deconstruct what was an incredibly memorable weekend of racing and always great to hang out with the listeners as well. It's been a tough year. And uh, what I loved about it was the interaction that we got on, on social media, um, the crack that we had, particularly when we got the first winner in with Golden Pal. Um, but I do have to say that I think that the Breeders' Cup and obvious, I'm I'm completely biased here, obviously. But I thought that the Breeders' Cup did a brilliant job. It was the perfect tonic. Um, it's it's difficult when we're all back into lockdown, and um, however you're coping with it, I hope you're okay. I hope you're well. And uh, look, we got for the jumps fans, we got Cheltenham this weekend, and and we can watch it, and that's something that we're we're going to talk about on Monday's show, please God. So uh, and on Thursday, obviously, what am I talking about? Uh, Tom Bull, Roy Delargy, Thursday with the gravy. So uh, hopefully, you'll be listening to the Final Furlong podcast then. And um, yeah, uh, well done, Breeders' Cup, and um, hopefully, we'll do more with them in the future. Thank you so so much for your kind words on social media. Um, the love for Peter Fornatal, for Naomi and for Barry was just brilliant to see. And uh, the excitement about Nick being on the show is great to see as well. So Nick, look, uh, look after yourself and we'll chat to you soon, my friend. Thank you very much, Emmett. Cheers. Take care now. Peter Fornatal, uh, In The Money Players podcast. Check it out. The sister show to the final Furlong podcast. Uh, the man's got his own podcast network and the bourbon. You're saying the bourbon's almost sold out and it's all for charity. Indeed, Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. If you're interested in, if you ever back a winner of mine, you want to give something back, don't don't worry about me, but the horses can use it. trfinc.org slash players. Nice. trfinc.org slash players. Beautiful. I have a feeling that a Final Furlong Podcast listener will be diving in there straight away before me. You want to do a Final Furlong Podcast Jemson? A Jemson? What's that? Jem- what? what do you mean, what's that? Jameson whiskey. Oh, Jame. That's so funny. We pronounce it wrong. Jameson is what we say in America. Well, sure to be to be fair, wrong. to be fair, we also say Jameson. So you're you're okay. You're okay. You're okay. all right on that. I didn't rag it. Usually you're act, usually you're trying to sound American, but here right now you're trying to sound Irish. You lose me. <laughs> Yeah, I went. I went too much there. Um, I think making a final furlong podcast whiskey would be dangerous, but. Uh, Hey, who knows? You know, in these crazy times, anything could happen. Uh, it's a pleasure as always, my friend. Can you recommend a TV show that you're currently binge watching for Final Furlong Podcast listeners who have to indulge it's in the lockdown? It's the same one everybody else is binge watching. I'm, I'm, on, uh, I'm on Queen's Gambit. I'm, oh, I'm enjoying, good yeah. man! Uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it immensely. Kate Tracy and I literally spoke about that for about 40 minutes last night because the internet went completely offline. And so I couldn't upload the show. And she kindly talked away to me, on, blabbered away to me on the phone. Uh, and we talked about The Queen's Gambit. It's brilliant. It's on Netflix and I highly recommend it. Um, have you watched The Undoing on HBO? I do not know that one. Do, worth checking out? Yeah. So Nicole Kidman and uh, Hugh Grant. It's a, it's a thriller. And Hugh Grant was brilliant in a very... Look, he's a great actor anyway. He was brilliant in a very, in, a very English scandal or a very British scandal. A very... A very English scandal, I think, based on a true story. He was f- fantastic in that. Um, he is brilliant in this. Obviously, he's a Brit. Uh, and Nicole Kidman is terrific as well. It's from David E. Kelly, writer of Big Little Lies, that Nicole Kidman was in as well. Highly recommended. And um, for those of you, you'll get this as well, because there's BBC America. Uh, we can't re-watch it, because for some stupid reason, the BBC iPlayer won't work here. 
Unless, of course, you've got a VPN. But I'm not Ben Shapiro, so I don't have that VPN deal yet where I can just blabber on about it. You need to protect your internet with a VPN. And here's how. Uh, so we can't do that just yet. But um, if you're in the UK and you haven't seen Roadkill, I highly recommend that. It's only three episodes long. Hugh Laurie uh, and Helen McRory from Peaky Blinders. Very, very good. Very, very good. Uh, highly recommended viewing. So there you go. Queen's Gambit, Roadkill, The Undoing. Can't do much better than that for you. Uh, Peter, my friend, thank you so much for joining us and uh, look after yourself. I'm very much looking forward to having you back on the show sooner rather than later, please God. Cheers, my friend. Always a pleasure. We'll be talking soon. And thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the Breeders' Cup preview and the Breeders' Cup review and the Breeders' Cup in general. Perfect tonic to what we're currently going through. Thanks so much to the Breeders' Cup for their support of the Final Forum podcast as well. Uh, the best way you can support the Final Forum podcast is just share us on social media. Spread the word out there. Um, Tell everybody. Listen to the show and, of course, Peter's show and Nick's show as well. Look after yourself. We'll chat to you Thursday. God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by the Breeders' Cup World Championships at Keeneland Racecourse. Head to breederscup.com forward slash at home and enjoy all the races from Breeders' Cup 2020, including jockey cams, contender cams and more.